Abba Father, we praise you and we thank you for your son, your son who saves us and calls us to be his own. We praise you and thank you for your Holy Spirit who you give us for new life and calls us, and you call us to be witnesses in. Lord, we praise that you pray that you would please fill us with your spirit now as we uh, come under your word and hear your word preached. Lord, please be on my lips and in my heart and help us all to seek your face and come to know you as our Lord and Savior more and more. And we pray this all in the name of Jesus Christ, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Be seated. Well, we all like stories when your heroes beat the bad guys. But recently, there was a, a, a really very popular movie that came out called The Avengers Infinity Wars. And in this movie, things don't go too well for the good guys. I'm not going to give it away, maybe. Um, you should know by now that things go very badly when uh, Thanos, the big bad guy, shows up and wreaks havoc across the universe. Or think of another example when it feels like the bad guys are going to win. It was in Britain in 1940 after Germany had blitzkrieged across Europe and all that stood between Nazi Germany taking over the rest of Europe was the sea between Britain and Germany and the war of 1940 for the battle for Britain. I'm sure that there was this feeling that no one could beat the Nazis. No one could beat Germany. We all like good stories, stories when the hero beats the bad guys and Sometimes we wonder if it will work out in the end. And friends, these illustrations of the reign of power and evil actually pale in comparison to the battle of good and evil in the Christian story. When Satan convinced Adam and Eve to rebel against God, he didn't just take out half of the population of the universe. He brought death, enslavement, and chaos to the whole of God's good creation. The whole human race became his slaves, and the only meager wage that we earned is from our cruel Lord is death. But God, who is goodness itself, would not allow his creation to continue in such ungodliness and destruction. So God began his rescue plan, and it culminates with God the Son becoming incarnate to rescue humanity from their slavery. Today, our gospel passage reveals that Jesus is the Lord and Savior who rescues and heals and raises enslaved humanity. So today, our, our whole passage, I only read, starting at chapter, or verse 21, our whole passage is the whole book, or uh, book five of, gospel, of the Gospel of Mark, so please uh, turn your books to, or your, your Bibles to chapter five, um, as we look at these three miracles of Jesus' healing and raising and releasing. Remember last week, we uh, looked at the Gospel of Mark in chapter 4, and we looked at the calming of the storm, and there we learned that, that, that Jesus reveals himself as creator and Lord of his unbelieving disciples. And we also looked at this idea that Jesus is the stronger man who has come to bind Satan and his kingdom, and to plunder the kingdom of Satan and establish the kingdom of God. We see this continued establishment this week in our three miracles. So right after the calming of the sea, Jesus arrives in this Gentile country of the Gennesarenes. This is not exactly the place where a Jewish man would want to go, and especially a Jewish man would go to, want to go to rest. In some ways, Jesus just being in this country makes him unclean. It's not a place you would expect 
a good Jewish Messiah to go. But the Holy Spirit has guided Jesus to this place to confront the kingdom of Satan. So as the sun sets and the disciples pull their boat ashore, they hear in the distance a manic cry with the rhythmic beat of feet rushing across the ground. A man runs towards the small crowd of disciples gathered around their boat, screaming with the the voice of a thousand men. Scripture says that this man had an unclean spirit who gave him horrific strength and tortured him without end. This man was a slave, slave to evil in the most life-denying way. One commentator argues that this passage is a, is a vivid uh, picture of Satan's desecration of the image of God in humanity. We were created in the image of God, Scripture says in Genesis 1, and this demon-possessed man is an image of what Satan trying to destroy that looks like. God created humanity for communion with God and creatures, and this man is the opposite of communion. He is self-destruction. He is self-hate. He is self-annihilation. We only need to look at how this miracle progresses to see the destructive intent of the demons in this man, who immediately as Jesus released them and sent them away, went and destroyed a herd of swine. That is what they wanted to do to this man. And this man, possessed by a legion of demons, confronts Jesus. And in the authority of his person and mission, Jesus casts the legion of demons out of this man. Jesus destroys the demons' personal reign over this man without any difficulty. And with a word, Jesus shows that he is the Son of God, filled with the Holy Spirit, who has the authority to bind the evil one and dismantle his kingdom. And when this demon fled Christ and left the man, he was a new man. You might say he was recreated. He was clothed and in his right mind, the scripture says. The creator and savior of the world has restored this desecrated image of God in this particular man, a foreshadowing of what he will do on the cross. And sheep, or the the swine, go and run to the lake, and the, the community of the Gentiles shiver in fear. What? Who does this? Who has the power over a man who has been possessed his whole life? Who can restore a man to his right mind? So in fear, they, they ask him to leave. As Jesus was leaving, the man who he had just healed asked Jesus to follow him. But instead of inviting Jesus to come, instead of inviting the man to come along and be his disciple, he gives him a commission. He says, go, home to your friends and and tell them how much the Lord has done for you, how much he has had mercy on you. Friends, this man became a witness among the Gentiles of the new creation, the new freedom, the new life that Jesus brings when he heals and saves. Became a living, breathing sign that life will be different now that Jesus has come. So as Jesus turned had just turned this man's life from upside down to right side up, he is beginning to turn the kingdom of Satan upside down. And after commissioning this healed man, he gets back into his boat and returns across the Sea of Galilee to Capernaum. When Jesus arrived on the other side of the sea, the kingdom of darkness was ready to challenge him again. So we've seen Jesus prove last week that he is uh, the Lord over the chaos and disorder of the sea and that he is stronger than demonic forces. 
But the effects of the fall were not simply chaos and the evil one. It was sin also brought death and disease. Humanity languished under the hard labor of the kingdom of the evil one. How could Jesus confront the evil of disease and death? And in this passage, he does. As the crowd gathered around Jesus, Jairus, an important community leader, came to Jesus and sets aside all dignity and decorum and falls on his knees to the ground before Jesus and begs Jesus to come and lay his hands on his dying daughter. Well, friends, this was a, a common practice in this day to, to ask someone who had authority, a teacher, power, who had power to come and, and lay hands on someone who was dying. But it seems that Jairus senses something that different about Christ, that, that maybe actually this man could heal his daughter. <clears throat> and as they travel to his house, and the throngs gather around Jesus, in the midst of this crowd, a, a woman begins to, to approach Christ. Now, friends, we, we read this morning, this woman was rarely seen in the light of day. She was as outcast as a leper. I don't know if you remember the movie Ben-Hur. That was a movie I grew up on. But I remember the, vividly in my mind people crying out, unclean, unclean, as lepers walked through the crowds. This was that woman. She had to declare herself unclean whenever she went out in public. She'd suffered for 12 years under the knife of surgeons who could do nothing for her. She was an outcast. She had no place in society. She lacked intimacy and community and connection. She was desolate and isolated. She was probably like how oftentimes we feel in society. And even so, with this glimmer of hope, she ventured out risking shame and exposure and exclusion. She sensed something about Jesus. She, she knew that he was a healer. And while she was too afraid to, to ask for healing, perhaps, just perhaps, touching his clothes could heal her. Now, this was a common belief in this time, that, that a, a healer who had power, that his, his clothes would be imbued with that power. Almost as if you can just avoid the contact with the person and just get to the healing. If you just touch his clothes. So this woman trusted that Jesus could heal her, but, her, but she wrongly believed that the, the manner of her healing, and the manner of healing, that on touching his clothes she would be healed. That was, she had this wrong understanding of her relation to Jesus. And that's why Jesus doesn't let her walk away. After she touched his clothes and she was healed, Jesus doesn't let her get, go unnoticed. She, he, he calls out, he says, who, who, power has gone out to me, who's touched me? For her healing actually to take full effect she must know the one who has saved her. She must believe in Jesus himself and not just in his clothes. So when Jesus told her, daughter, your faith has made you well, he taught her that it was her faith in Jesus himself, her trust and dependence in him as a healer and savior that led to her healing. Friends, it's important to realize, especially when we read these kinds of passages, that faith is not something we gum up. It's not something that, that we produce to get Jesus to do something for us. We don't curry God's favor with greater faith. I've heard it said once too many times that if you just had enough faith, you'll be healed. Friends, that's just not true. Friends, notice that she was healed even while she had very little faith, and it was misdirected. 
The quality and the quantity of her faith had nothing to do with her healing. The fact that she had a small faith in Jesus, in Jesus is what mattered. Jesus is the object of her faith. He is the center of this story. And the truth of the matter is, if we look at the larger uh, scope of Scripture, that even her faith was a gift given. The Holy Spirit was in her provoking and prodding her to look to Jesus for salvation. Friends, everything from beginning to end in salvation is a gift. And she got more than she was expecting. <laughs> I think this is good news for us. She went looking for a healing. She had suffered for many years, and she wanted to be done with it. And what she got was a, a transformation of her whole life. When Jesus healed her, healed her he, he didn't just restore her physically. He healed her and saved her and gave her his peace. In, in this passage, there's two words that, that signify this, that point us to this. One, it says that she was made well and that Jesus gave her his peace. And, it, and the Greek made well is, is, is rooted in, in the word for salvation. He saved her and gave her his peace. And peace here isn't just like, you know, a, you know peace. Peace. No. <laughs> the word peace here means not just freedom from inward anxiety, but the wholeness or completeness of life that comes from being brought into a right relationship with God. This woman got way more than she expected from Jesus, her Savior. She came just wanting something from Jesus and knowing, knowing something a little bit about him, and she left wanting nothing but Jesus and knowing him as her Savior and Lord. And it's interesting, friends, that, that Mark's, Mark, the author of this gospel, just plops this story right in the middle of this. And we, we have to wonder, I think, that, that Jairus must have observed all of this. And maybe, just maybe, he thought, oh, if Jesus could heal this woman, then he must be able to heal my daughter. <laughs> but even as he thinks these words, he hears steps coming towards him as if they were the footsteps of doom, and his heart sinks when he hears, your daughter is dead. Everything reels he bends over and sinks down to the ground. Oh, yeah, this guy, he can heal, all right. But this delay has led to my daughter's death. Who can raise the dead? No one. As the pain only a father could know raged through his body, he felt a firm but kind settled hand settle on his shoulder. He felt Jesus bend over, and whisper in his ear, do not fear, only believe. What? What? Jairus thought, even now this man won't give up? Who is this man? He looked up and saw Jesus continue on his way, calling three of his disciples to follow him. As they progressed closer to his house, Jairus could hear the professional mourners beginning their paid duties as he walked beside Jesus toward his home and thinking, oh man, if Jesus, maybe if Jesus can heal this woman, perhaps, perhaps there's still, still something to be done for my daughter. And they arrived and Jesus quickly took command of the situation, saying to the professional mourners, she is not dead, she is sleeping, and they just laugh at him. And he puts them out of the house and ushers in his three disciples into the house with, his, with Jairus and his wife. 
And even so, they still wonder, can anything be done? Can anything change this? The reaper has come, and no one can negotiate with him. Now, that would be true. I mean, this is a fact of life, that death comes to all. It is the irreversible truth of life that under the reign of king, the, the kingdom of Satan, it's the wages we get. It's the wages the slaves of sin get. It's death. Who would dare stand against the inevitable fate of sinful humanity? Could Jesus really, could he really break the chains that have bound humanity since the day of Adam and Eve? Could he take on death and turn it to life? Could he begin to make all things new? And with the infinite and compassionate love of God himself, Jesus touched the chilled hand of that little girl. Jesus, the savior and lover of humanity, and of this little dead girl said, little girl, arise. Out of the swirling darkness, the shades of night, the terrifying emptiness of death, a voice came calling. Suddenly she felt the pulse of his heart touching through the touch of his finger, pouring life into her, aligning her heart to the beat of life himself. She opened her eyes and saw a simple, simple man with the tender compassion of what felt like God himself. He smiled at her, and she knew something magnificent and beautiful had just happened. She had just not, not met, just met her savior, but her creator in human flesh. She sat up and saw the tearful, the joyful tears of her mother and father pouring down their faces, and she again turned to this man and knew that she was safe, that she was home. And Jesus, in all his authority and power as creator and savior, destroyed death's grip on this child. Friends, in the face of possession, of illness and death itself, Jesus stood humbly and confidently subverting the kingdom of darkness. And these miracles were just the beginning of the final assault on the kingdom of Satan. Soon, very soon, Jesus would be consumed by death itself so that he could consume death with his infinite life. And that is what we see on the cross. Jesus is the Lord and Savior who saves sinful humanity. And on the cross, Jesus completes this work, the triune God's work of binding the strong man and overthrowing Satan's kingdom. When death consumed Jesus, when he said, it is finished, and he breathed his last, he trampled death by his death. Death could not hold the infinite life of God. In his death and resurrection, Jesus Christ took the rule of Satan in our hearts. He took our slavery. He took the sin and injustice and hate that we've participated in against God and against our neighbor. And he nailed it all to the cross. He has triumphed over evil and puts it to shame in his glorious resurrection. We are truly dead to sin. Friends, this is the gospel. This is the good news of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. 
And Jesus today is calling us to rise, to be healed, and to be released to witness to the lover of all humankind. Will you hear it? Today, if you're a little girl, we see that Jesus raises up from death to life. Excuse me. We see that Jesus raises the dead to life, as he did with this little girl. And friends, many of us are still dead and enslaved to sin. We're either passively avoiding Jesus and God and his call on our life, or we actively reject him. If you've not, if you've not surrendered to Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, know that he is calling you to this life in him. He loves you so much. And his spirit is with you, drawing you to him. He calls you, little one, arise. We saw with the woman that Jesus heals us inside and outside. If you are a Christian, the, the Holy Spirit is working in you and healing you inside and out to make you more like Jesus Christ. This is the, the work of the Spirit in our lives. And, and one of the most basic ways that this happens is through the Holy Spirit's call to repentance. Friends, I found that some of the most powerful moments of healing and growth in my life are when I, I just simply repent and confess that I am powerless over my sin and that I need Jesus to save me. And sometimes it's moment by moment. But friends, this is the inner healing that we need. Repentance and looking to Christ as our Savior. Repentance means a daily, sometimes minutely, sometimes second by second, turning away from our sin and towards God. It's a complete surrender, like Jairus before Jesus, of your will to the will of Jesus Christ. Friends, where does the Holy Spirit want to heal you today? there an area of sin it's your resentments or laziness or apathy or pride Maybe it's an ingrained habit like lust or jealousy a do-it-yourself attitude is there an addiction that seems to be overwhelming you friends have we forgotten our baptismal vows to forsake sin and all else and pursue the knowledge and love of jesus what do we need to repent of today Friends, take time. Don't let these moments, these precious moments of Christ calling you to further life waste away. Don't let this morning pass you by. Go and pray and repent. God is working in you and is with you and for you. So don't ignore him. Don't quench the spirit of God. Feel free to talk to me or to Caleb about this. We're here for you. We are here to cheer you on in your maturity in Christ. And friends, like the demon-possessed man, when Jesus heals and saves, he calls us to be witnesses of his power and presence. And simply put, friends, we need Jesus. And the world needs Jesus. Because the world will not be saved by presidents or Supreme Court judges. It will be saved by Jesus Christ alone. He is our only hope. And Christians, we have been given a very heavy, important responsibility 
to be witnesses to others about him. And frankly, we've often failed to do it well, and I've often failed to do it well. Because our witness shines the brightest when we are abiding in Christ. When we realize at the depths of our beings that Christ is with us and in us and for us through the power of the Holy Spirit, transforming us. When we live in that, that is when we are witnesses. Friends, Jesus is with you and in you and for you. Do you believe it? I know that I struggle with living this reality on a day-to-day basis. I think we all do. But let us not let fear hold us back from what God is calling us to. Let us together pray for a deeper abiding desire to know and love Jesus Christ more and more. Friends, he is the hero that wins. He is the hero that all the stories point to. He is the one who will save and heal the world. Do not fear, only believe. Let us pray. Jesus, we praise you and we thank you that you are our Savior who heals and saves. We praise you and we thank you that you love us with an infinite, never giving up, always going love. We praise you and thank you that you have won. Your victory on the cross is a victory of infinite proportion. Lord, we ask that you would please pour your spirit into our hearts, break us, call us to repentance, let us, help us, call us to let go of the sins that so easily entangle, and let us look to you, our forerunner and perfecter of our faith. Lord, we pray this all in your name and through the power of your Holy Spirit and to the glory of God the Father. Amen.